this evening I'd like to talk about time and transformation. One of the greatest mistakes I feel that we tend to make in our spiritual lives is equating liberation with personal perfection. So often we rather tend to believe that liberation depends and relies upon making ourselves perfect and that it's after that we have worked on improving ourselves and perfecting ourselves, ridding ourselves of imperfections, after that we'll become free because we will somehow be worthy of liberation because we will be perfect. It's, it's a belief system, I feel, which instead of leading us to liberation or helping us to be more awake, actually it blinds us. It blinds us to seeing the truth of who we are. It blinds us to seeing clearly into the nature of existence, the nature of reality. We create goals and then we find ourselves becoming ambitious about achieving the goals that we create. And yet we can only create a goal as long as we believe that the things we need, the goals we want, are separate and apart from where we are and from who we are in this moment. If we didn't believe that freedom and separation were apart and separate from this moment, there would never be any attempt to pursue them. The tendencies to measure ourselves to evaluate ourselves, to feel exhilarated over progress and despairing over our sense of failure. All that measuring, all that valuing rests upon and relies totally upon the ideals of perfection that we may hold. If we have no models of perfection, no ideals of perfection, there is nothing to evaluate ourselves by. There's nothing to measure ourselves by. There's no basis for exhilaration and there's no basis for despair. And yet we find ourselves often, frequently, judging, rejecting what we experience in the moment, the moment itself, judging and rejecting how we experience the moment. And it, that judgment and rejection again relies upon our belief in needing to be perfect. We only judge and reject or deny what doesn't quite meet up to our standards of what should be, our standards of perfection. The tendency to compare ourselves, and more importantly, this inclination to create models, to create authorities, and then to look up to them as being someone to emulate, something to aspire to, rests upon our believing that there is someone who knows something that we don't know, who has something that we don't yet have, 
And so if we create often these authorities, gurus, models, that we then feel we must become. All of our beliefs upon of progress and attainment rest upon this equating of personal perfection with liberation. When we equate personal perfection with liberation, the first things that we believe in are time and transformation. We believe that we will become perfect in time. And we believe that personal change, somehow changing our center, changing our personalities, changing the makeup of who we are through purification, through resolving, through getting rid of things, we believe that that personal change of our center is the means to the perfection that we seek for. And then often, of course, we believe in a gradual awakening, that we are gradually going to become more awake, that we gradually become more free as a result of the work that we do on ourselves. And the work that we do on ourselves usually consists of somehow freeing ourselves of imperfections that we perceive in ourselves and replacing those imperfections which with things, qualities, characteristics, ways of being that we consider to be more perfect. And that capacity to substitute one quality for another is often seen as being the path to freedom. When we, the belief in time, the belief in transformation is expressed primarily in the pursuit of becoming. In our practice, we probably find ourselves focusing upon qualities or characteristics that we see as being essential to perfection or essential to liberation. And we pursue them. We often feel that we must do a lot of inner modification, work on our personalities, on who we are. So we try to become often, or find ourselves endeavoring to become more loving, more giving, more generous, more calm, more tranquil, more serene, more equanimous, or the endless list of things that we can become more of. And we can become more of those things, usually as a result of becoming less of something else. Isn't it true? You can only become more loving if you become less angry. You can only become more giving if you become less of something else. You can only become more open if you become less defensive. So there's often this sense of weighing and evaluating and pursuing becoming. And that we believe often that pursuit of becoming is very necessary if we're going to progress and deepen in our spiritual paths because that becoming is a way of transforming our imperfections into perfections. And we wonder how else are we going to do it? How else are we going to become free? How else are we going to become perfect? Because we know that there isn't anyone or anything outside of ourselves that can somehow remove imperfections that we see. We know that there isn't anyone around anyone else who can suddenly reach inside our being 
and with an eraser rub out all the things that we don't like or feel are unworthy of liberation. Other possibilities also seem futile. If we're not working on something, what are we going to do? We might feel, well, we just hang out and wait for an enlightenment experience or hang out and just be aware and wait for some flash of enlightenment. We may feel that if we're not consciously working in something, then the only option may be that we find ourselves just being swamped by the imperfections that we experience. We might feel that if we don't work on ourselves, all we've got left to do is hope that our karma is sufficiently ripe enough to warrant that we all get enlightened, hopefully, before too long. And yet our experience actually tells us that many of those options and many of those avenues are quite futile and unrealistic. We find that if we're not cultivating attention, if we're not cultivating clarity, if we're not cultivating sensitivity consciously, if we're not applying our energy, we experience the results of that very immediately. Maybe some of you have given choiceless awareness a little run or two, once or twice. And you may find that when the energy is not clear, when the attention is not really conscious, you experience the results immediately. You sink. Often you just sink. Often you may feel like your mind becomes a kind of out-of-control video game, or you just fall asleep. Basically, you just fall asleep. Huh? It's, very, it's very nice to have ideas about just being choicelessly aware. And yet, if one is falling asleep, one really has to obviously question the quality and the depth of that awareness. Sometimes, of course, you know, it's, it's very easy to be attracted and fascinated by concepts. Sometimes we're very fascinated by concepts of choiceless awareness or just openness or opening ourselves to reality. And it's true that there is a quality of choiceless awareness that is so clear and so pristine in its sensitivity and its clarity that it can embrace each moment as it is without any mark of clinging or identification. And it is true that our path is one of cultivating a way of being within ourselves where we can truly understand the depth of that awareness that it's not something you do and not something that you practice and not something that you try at but that it's the, uh, the absolute essence of the consciousness that is free from clinging and free of identification. Yet often the concept is the one that we move towards rather than the actual experience. And you know, you hear all these concepts about, you know, well, there is nothing to do and there's nowhere to go and nothing to attain and nothing to achieve. And on one level they are absolutely true. On the deepest level they are absolutely true. And yet, if we are not in that place of that clarity of seeing, that pristine clarity, they tend to remain just 
theories. And actually they do little in that to truly alleviate suffering. And sometimes we see that, you know, we, we try and, you know, be in that space of nowhere to go and nothing to do and we find that there's plenty of places that we go, you know. <laughs> And they're usually down, or they're up, or they're out into the space layer, you know, and we find that actually there's plenty of places we seem to have to go and want to do and want to be involved with. And so maybe then we become disillusioned, where we think, well, you know, that's not right. There is somewhere to go, and there is clearly something to do and something I need to do. And we may become a little disillusioned with the concepts, but then often we adopt the other extreme. Then the other extreme that we often adopt is that our only option then is to cultivate becoming. Become, cultivate clearly the path of personal perfection, cultivate clearly the path of time and transformation. We don't need to be confused by any of those stances. We need to be clearly aware of where we attach ourselves to views, and we need to clearly return again and again to question, what are we seeking for in this practice? What is it all about for us? What does it mean to us? What is the inner significance, the inner meaning of this practice, these hours of silence, these hours of being with ourselves? What does it truly mean to us? We have directions. I've mentioned before, we don't practice in order to stay the same. We have intentions, we have directions in our practice. We sense, possibly, that there are possibilities within our consciousness that haven't been explored. We sense that there's a way of being inwardly where we are not bound by limitation, where we're not bound by constructions. We sense that there are ways of seeing, and sometimes it is just a gut feeling, an intuitive sense, that there are ways of seeing and ways of being that hold deep, deep levels of serenity and peace and awareness. And we sense that they're possible for us. We seek for the end of suffering and the end of ignorance. And our path is concerned with healing, our path is concerned with understanding, and our path is concerned with liberation. And we need to know what, they are, what that means on a personal level, in relationship to our own being, in relationship to our own lives. Healing is a part of this path, and it, it's not um, that there is any one thing that needs to be healed. What's in need of healing varies from one person to another. But certainly if there is conflict within ourselves, if there's division within ourselves, if there's fragmentation within ourselves, if there's rejection, if there's denial, if there's an absence of peace, then clearly there is a need for some healing inwardly. Often what is clearly in need of healing is a sense of wounded vision partial vision of who we are as a human being, a damaged vision or a fragmented vision. To me, to carry any kind of wounded vision, sense of incompleteness, sense of inadequacy, sense of a lack of wholeness inwardly, 
to carry that kind of burden means to me that there is a need for a compassionate, caring response to our own being, that there is a need for healing inwardly. Sometimes the wounded vision that we carry has a long history. It has roots in experiences that have long finished, experiences that have made deep impressions on our being in terms of rejection, in terms of a lack of acceptance, times when we've been undermined or exploited. And we see that wounded vision because it expresses itself in the moment in our inner relationship when we have a sense of being unworthy or incomplete inwardly, when we have a sense of inadequacy or failure. And we see how that vision enacts itself because the ways in which we judge ourselves, the ways in which we can be harsh or brutal, condemning of ourselves, clearly an expression of inner hostility. And there's a need for healing, not just modifying the judgments, there's a need for some more fundamental healing. Sometimes the wounded visions that we experience may not have long histories. It can be created on a moment-to-moment level, through our evaluations, through our goals, through our sense of failure or regression, whenever we cast ourselves into that light of being bound, of being limited, of being incomplete, what we are manifesting in that moment is a wounded inner vision, a fragmented vision of who we are. And when there is a wounded inner vision, there is sorrow. There is pain. There's a sense of grief and conflict in the present moment. In meditation, we become, I feel, acutely aware of the way in which that wounded vision can manifest itself in the present moment. Become aware of the struggles, the judgments, the rejections. We become aware of our tendency to dwell upon and to become obsessed with imperfections or what we deem to be imperfections within ourselves. Become aware of that wounded inner vision as we find ourselves needing or compelled to construct self-images through isolating particular aspects of our own being through dwelling upon isolated aspects of our own being and creating a self-image, creating a reality out of it. We experience that fragmented inner vision in the repetition of mental states and the preoccupations in that sense of being unable to let go of things. When you experience that sense of, I can't let go of something, It is because in some way our vision of ourselves is overshadowed by a pain, a conflict, an experience which is creating conflict in the present moment. Clearly our preoccupations, our dwelling, our obsessions, our limitations, they bind us to the past. They bind us to incomplete visions of who we are. Clearly there's a need for healing. Sometimes, you know, we get stuck in these conception of there being 
you know, of how the emptiness of self. And it's true, self is very empty, but it can just be a concept. And if we like to hold on to that concept, then we often become very dismissive of these movements inwardly. And we feel, oh, well, no, 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 you don't give attention to this, you know, that's just narcissistic. Or to give attention to these conflicts or these confusions is just a way of reinforcing the sense of self. And I feel there is clearly a part of meditation practice that is concerned with healing. And it seems to me that to be able to let go of self and to see on a very deep level the transparency of self and the insubstantiality of self, first you need a healthy self to let go of. You know, you cannot let go of an unhealthy self. It's impossible. It's almost like the unhealthy self, and by an unhealthy self I mean one that is bound to these incomplete visions, because the very expression of a self, sense of self that is incomplete and basically unstable, is the tendency to obsess, to be preoccupied, to dwell upon, all of which really undermines our capacity to let go. You know, try it in the midst of some massive obsession or some massive preoccupation or some incredibly deep sense of dwelling or pain. Try saying to yourself, I'm just going to let go of this. It's not I. It's not me. You know, it's just empty. Of course, it's quite ineffective. You know, you just sit there, you can, you can repeat it until the end of the retreat. And you're probably still believing, saying, I am like this, you know, I'm just like this, and I have this problem, I have this difficulty. There's a need to be in touch with where we are. And healing is a part of this practice. It's not, you know, that, you know, we're just soothing or comforting ourselves. A healthy self does not mean a reinforced sense of self. It means a realistic inner vision. It means a way of seeing ourselves in a way in which we're not bound to constructed images, to limitations, to conflicts, to limited definitions of who we are. Just what I mean by a balanced sense of self, a way of being inwardly that is free of rejection, of denial, and of avoidance, and of suppression a way of being with ourselves, being at home in ourselves, being at peace with ourselves, where there is acceptance and where there is spaciousness. By a healthy self, a balanced self, I mean a way of seeing ourselves where there's open-heartedness and when there's sensitivity. That is the inner space in which letting go happens organically and deeply and immediately. Those qualities are qualities that we consciously cultivate in our practice. That way of creating a clear vision of who we are is created through the qualities that we consciously cultivate in our practice. They are integral to our practice. Part of our practice is bringing about this integration of body, mind, and feelings in the present. By consciously focusing what is actually happening within our experience in the present moment, we free ourselves inwardly of prejudice, of denial, of dismissiveness, of suppression. 
in freeing the consciousness of those qualities just through being attentive to what is, to being co- through being connected with what's actually happening, we find that that prejudice and the distortion and the projection is replaced by spaciousness and by clarity. And in that there is healing. The past is healed through seeing clearly in the present. Freeing the mind of dwelling brings understanding, creates an environment which is conducive to insight. It's not that we have to work out the past. It's not that we have to work out the past. It is that there is healing of the past through the clarity of our seeing in the present. What's the understanding that we need? What is the insight that we need? To free ourselves of suffering, to be free of suffering, we need to see how suffering is created on a moment-to-moment level for ourselves. We need to be willing to explore the depths of our own consciousness, to clearly understand the patterns that move us, that condition us, so that we can question and explore the nature of the barriers that we experience in the moment within ourselves. We need to see what we cling to and why we do it, why we cling, so that there can be letting go. We need to understand the process of constructing so that there can be clarity. It is by understanding the nature of change, the nature, the insubstantiality of things, that there can be a true letting go. It is by understanding the transparency of self that there can be an end to the belief systems in the center of I, which creates all other things as objects, as separate realities. It is by understanding the process of dissatisfaction that there can be deep deep inner serenity. It's not an intellectual understanding that we need. We don't need to create more intellectual constructs or conceptual frameworks. We have enough of that in our lives. What is much more needed, I feel, is deep intuitive insight clear and penetrating insight, because that is the insight that is liberating. The exploration, the insight that comes, is created through or founded upon the way that we practice. By focusing our attention upon the present, by applying effort in the present moment, we experience the results of it also immediately we experience that there's a clear relationship between equanimity and attention. There's a clear relationship between cultivating attention and clarity of seeing. There's a clear relationship between sensitivity and the capacity to respond with compassion and open-heartedness. The results of the practice are very immediate and very clear. And it's those, that openness and spaciousness that allows expansiveness rather than contraction. 
and it's in expansiveness, not in contraction, that there can be deep insight. And we see in the expansiveness that comes through our practice that the past actually loses its power. It's not that we necessarily have to go through our past experience by experience, resolving and fixing it up and coming to terms with, but rather the power of our awareness in the present moment neutralizes the past. And by neutralizing the past, I don't mean just that memories lose their power. The tendencies that condition us, the patterns that move us, lose their power in the light of awareness. They simply have no momentum when they're not fueled by clinging. And in deeper levels of awareness, a deep establishment of awareness, the power of tendencies, of samskaras, of patterns, is simply neutralized. There's some radical changes that come about to the insights that come in practice. It's hard to believe in our constructions as being realities. When we see they're rising and passing with such speed, it's hard to believe in our self-images and our constructions as of who we are as being reality. When we see the changes they go through, the transparency of those realities, there's some changes that come about in terms of our defenses and barriers. They become inoperative. And if you see clearly, clearly the barriers, the resistances, the struggles for and against, so clearly in the moment, it's hard really to play the game of becoming preoccupied, of becoming obsessed, of being overwhelmed by things. The, but sometimes the changes that we experience and the depth that we experience in practice is taken to be evidence that time and transformation are very important. And this is the other side of it. You know, we see that things are getting better, hopefully. I concur. We see that things are getting better. In fact, we may see that we be getting better, that we're getting better. If we look back on the first day of the retreat, we may say, oh, yes, I'm certainly better at being attentive. I'm certainly better at connecting in the present moment. We may even be feeling better about ourselves. And we say, well, you know, I'm just not nearly so irritable. I'm much better. I'm not nearly so swamped by hindrances. I really am getting better. I'm really improving. It tends to be taken as evidence, and we often f conclude that we're just going to go on getting better and better until we reach liberation. There's often the conclusion that things are just going to go on getting deeper and deeper and improving and improving until there will come a point where perfection has been reached. Sometimes when we take, when we conclude that, then it solidifies our belief that equates personal perfection with liberation. 
we may conclude that we just have to keep working on our imperfections. Because after all, it does seem that by getting rid of our imperfections, that has something to do with feeling better about ourselves. And we may conclude that we just have to keep working on our imperfections, working on erasing them, and then that freedom will follow our perfection. And it's often taken to be a question of time, which is something that needs to be really questioned. When we look at the changes that go on in our consciousness, they can be so immediate and so unpredictable. You can go from a state of obsessive dwelling to spaciousness in the blink of an eyelid. You can go from a space of feeling totally agitated to a deep, deep inner silence in the space of one breath. You can go from a state of preoccupation and planning and fantasizing and speculating and worrying to a place of real ease in the moment, in a single moment. And often that change takes place and you even wonder what on earth was all that about? You look back on the preoccupation, you look back on the dwelling, and you think, well, what was I doing in there? How did I find myself there? What happened to me? And it seems totally unreal. It can seem totally unreal in the next moment. And we see, too, that it's not necessarily a gradual eroding of tendencies and mental states. We see how change can be so immediate. And what is the factor that brings about that change? It's not because we've gradually worked things out or gradually erased some imperfection. Often, most often, the factor that brings about that change is the cessation of clinging in the moment. And we see that it's not the duration of destructive tendencies doesn't really rest upon how long we work with them. The duration of destructive tendencies really much more is related to the power of our awareness in the moment of their arising. And if we are really totally aware in the moment of their arising, there is no continuity. There's no continuity of bringing. If we are totally aware in the moment of their arising, there's no impression, there's no grasping, there's no constructing, there's no, I am this, or I am that, so I should become this. And it is not necessarily a question of gradually understanding these tendencies. We do understand them. We do know what they are. You know, we've got, we could give a lineage about them, you know, a history about them. We could present a portfolio about them. We don't need necessarily more intellectual understanding about our tendencies. Often what we need to much more to be aware of is that relationship between clinging and contraction. And truly understand that awareness in the moment of arising means no continuity, means the cessation of the tendency in that moment. Time is not such an essential factor If we see that we can cultivate attention, if 
we see that we can cultivate clarity, it does seem rather logical to assume that we can cultivate liberation, that we can cultivate enlightenment, that we can cultivate being free. One factor that we tend to overlook in that conclusion is the factor that I cannot be free. We rather tend to overlook the fact that I cannot become free. I can have different identities. We can't find I alone. So as I am, I have, I want, I need, in stillness you can't find I. In deep, deep silence you cannot find I. And yet always we tend to subscribe to this idea that I will become free. And then often we subscribe to that idea for a while and then it dawns upon us that actually the problem may be I. But actually the basic essential separating factor that we experience is the very presence of the center. And so then we tend to come up with another idea that what I really have to do is dissolve I. And that if I dissolve I, I'm going to become free. <laughs> And yet, I cannot dissolve itself. It is a futile effort. The two are contradictory. As long as there is even a sense of I, no matter how subtle the belief in it, then I is going to accumulate definitions and descriptions and labels for itself. It may get some very positive labels in time. You know, I may have some very positive credentials in time, but anything that I accumulate in time can also dissolve in time. If I am the owner of them. That is not a negation of changes that come about through practice. You know, you sit and you are clear and it follows, it does follow that as day follows night, that you sit and you are clear and you connect with the moment and you deepen an understanding and there will be more compassion and more love and more sensitivity and more clarity and more attention. And yet somehow, even amidst that, we must come to this crucial understanding of the way in which I create separation. And that as long as I is believed in, there will always be a world of name and form that is believed in as being separate realities. I can become a very good watcher and that is useful and it is valid. At points in our practice, we need to cultivate that. We do cultivate the meditator for a time. If we cease, if we cease somehow to subscribe to the idea that I will become free, then we cease a great deal of the struggling to try and manipulate and modify. And when we cease the struggling, then there is silence. There is stillness. It's not the absence of movement. And it's not the absence of sound. There is the deep inner silence of not becoming. There's the deep inner silence of non-grasping. The deep inner silence that is the nature of consciousness in the absence of clinging. And that 
inner silence is revealing. It is in that inner silence that there is the insight, or can be the insight, into what the understanding of what the unconditioned actually is. Understanding the truth, the reality, the nature, the unconditioned that goes through all name and form, that goes through the dance of existence without ever being marked by it. And it's an insight and it's an understanding which is truly liberating. There is no return from that understanding. It dissolves all beliefs in separation. And I, we have a practice and we have a path. And our practice and our path is concerned with cultivating, is concerned with letting go. And it is a clear path that's cultivated that is cultivated without clinging. And when it's cultivated without clinging, the path doesn't lead to becoming. It doesn't lead to investment in any ideas of becoming. Instead, the path nurtures silence. It nurtures stillness. Stillness in which there can be liberating insight. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings be free from grasping. May all beings deepen in understanding. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.